All right, so I'm gonna get started. I'll, I'll introduce you and then we'll take it from there. Sounds great. All right, awesome. All right, world, so thank you very much for joining us. Actually, I'm gonna wait because I don't think you want the intro with your camo pants. <laughs> All right, you good? Okay. All right, world. Uh, thank you so much for joining us here on our podcast today. So welcome to another episode of Plastic Surgery Unplugged. I'm Dr. Raghu Athre, your host. And today we have our guest from joining us from Miami, Florida, Dr. Paul Afruz. Um, Dr. Afruz's specialty that, uh, that he was told me about and which I'm quite interested in because it's something similar to what I do is his 4D lift. He is a board certified plastic surgeon trained at the Dallas Plastic Surgery Institute and uh, has the luck to practice in one of the most, one of my favorite places in the world. Um, so take it away, Paul. Oh, thank you, Regu. It's, uh, it's really a pleasure to be on with you. Thank you so much for having me. I've been looking forward to this and looking forward to our discussion. Thank you. Um, and by the way, I need to officially apologize because uh, last time I got called out and, and so you made you wait, so I apologize. But thanks for taking the time out to join us today. Oh, of course. It's my pleasure. And, and gosh, I wish uh, I, can't, I can't even count the number of times that things like that have happened and I've had to delay meetings. So it's, it's part of what we do. So right. of course uh, I understand and I'm happy we're able to make it work today. So um, <clears throat> a little bit about me, I think we have some, <clears throat> our trainings have uh, have quite a few similarities. I know you spent quite a bit of time in Dallas um, as well. And I'm eager to hear a little bit more about your training. I'm sure all the listeners uh, know very well, but um, but it'd be interesting to know where our paths kind of uh, crossed a little bit. Uh, but as you said, I'm a <clears throat> board certified plastic surgeon. Um, I trained uh, at the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. Uh, that was a seven-year integrated plastic surgery program. After that, I did a one-year fellowship in aesthetic plastic surgery, mostly focusing on uh, facial plastic surgery. Uh, <clears throat> I moved to Miami and started my practice and I was doing everything within plastic surgery that I was trained to do. Um, so basically surgery from head to toe. And then, uh, I, I, I've always knew where my passion was. My passion was really aesthetic surgery of the face, neck, and nose. And with time, I just realized that I, I wanted to really zero in on my passion, and I've been fortunate enough to do that over the last several years um, with a real um, <clears throat> love for facelift surgery, necklift surgery, and rhinoplasty, and, and all the revisions that go along with that. So um, that's a little bit about me, and um, uh, yeah. Miami has been has been wonderful. Nice. Um, so yeah, I think we we chatted a few times off air, and I think we share a lot of thoughts. So um, one of the things I think that really the first things that made me go bam, I really want to talk to this guy is we we had started talking about mini lifts, mm -hmm. and and I'm I'm gonna. You're, this is going to be kind of interesting. So first of all, I want to hear your kind of the unadulterated, you get to hear Paul say what he wants to say about mini lifts, because you and I both know that you're going to get that patient who calls in and says, hey, I really want a mini lift. So what's your thought process? Uh, <clears throat> so I really would like to know where that phrase came from mini lift i think that it would be interesting to know in my if i had to guess i think it's purely a marketing term i agree 100 percent. yeah because a beautiful facelift that's durable that's going to stand the test of time that's going to be a natural result that both myself and my patient can be proud of is not something I would ever use the term mini in front of. And, and you know, we can get wrapped up in the vernacular and, and the words, 
Um, but the, the important thing is that a beautiful facelift has to, we can't take shortcuts. And I think that a mini lift somehow suggests that we're taking a shortcut. I, I, a facelift is, is a spectrum. It's, it's kind of like that vol, it's like a volume dial, you know, whether you want um, a great result I mean, whether someone has a massive amount of aging or just a little bit of premature aging, we've still got to get in there and do some surgical work. Um, and that work in my hand involves getting under the SMAS and, and doing uh, a degree of surgery that's really tailored towards, towards each individual patient. So labeling something a mini lift doesn't make sense to me because I've always got to get in there and do the work to the SMAS. And, and in most, the overwhelming majority of the time, I'm getting under the SMAS and what's it, uh, currently being referred to as the deep plane. Um, so I am getting in that deep plane, but how much work I need to do in that deep plane really is something that's tailored towards each individual patient. So if I have someone with a great degree of aging in the lower face, a lot of jowling, um, a lot of laxity in the neck, and they come in asking for a mini lift, or even if it's the, the person in their early to mid forties and they're asking for a mini lift, um, I just don't like to use that terminology because I, I, my facelift is a sub-smash facelift and uh, because I want the results to be durable and long-lasting and we got to get in there and do the work and and how much work is truly dependent on that individual patient. Um, so I, I don't like to apply labels like mini because what's the opposite of, of mini? Uh, you know, Maxi. Yeah, is it? No. So you bring up some very interesting points. So I 100% agree with every single thing you said. Now, the I, I further on, I agree with the fact that this whole idea of a mini lift, I think, is completely a marketing term. The first problem I see when, when someone asks me this, the first problem, we don't know how to define the word mini lift. Okay, there is not a definition that means the same thing to you and the same thing to me. Like when you're telling me my facelift involves a sub SMAS dissection, that is very scientific. I know exactly what you're telling me. Okay, mini lift doesn't tell me diddly squat. So yeah. that's the first thing. So I, 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 and I tell my patients this straight up. It's like that definition doesn't exist. Number two, I, I really like what you said that the fact is that it sounds like you're doing less surgery. And I like that from the marketing standpoint. From my standpoint, what I tell them is, you know, I don't know how to define a facelift as a, if you want to call it a 3 8 facelift, a 15 16 facelift, 24 64 I, I don't know. Okay. Yeah. So where would exactly like where would that cutoff be? Correct. And so. And what I, the further thing that I tell patients is, is everybody's facelift journey is unique and individual. Okay. You can give me two twins, mm -hmm. not getting the same lift. Yeah. Okay. And so the way I think, and I, I noticed like the guys like you and I, who do a lot of facial rejuvenation surgery, and I'm reading more and more of the other guys that are, well, I think we all have the same thought process. It is really a facial rejuvenation blueprint. Like when this person says, I want rejuvenation, then you go, okay, cool. I'm down with the program. What does that rejuvenation entail? And then you kind of make the plan, right? Whether do you need a brow lift? Do you not need a brow lift? Do you need a bluff? Do you not need a bluff? Do you need a facelift? And is that facelift really targeting the mid face and the melolabial area? Or is it more neck or is it equivalent mid face and neck? So that journey is independent for every single patient, which is what makes it fun. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree completely. I mean, there's so much 
variability. There's so much artistry that goes into it, which is it, which is why I don't. Uh, you know, there are so many plastic surgery clinics that that pop up all over the place, and um, and I'm, I'm sure there are great doctors within those clinics that do a lot of high volume surgery. But when it comes to the face, there's so much artistry and variability in, in, for instance, you mentioned brow lift. I mean, how are we gonna, what part of the brow is dropping? You know, what vector are we gonna lift that? Are we gonna, are lifting the tail of the brow? Are we lifting the inner portion of the brow? it's not like you go to McDonald's and you order a, uh, a Big Mac. If you order a Big Mac from one McDonald's and then you drive five miles down the road and you get another Big Mac, chances are they're going to be <laughs> very pretty similar. similar. Yeah. Pretty identical. Um, it's pl facial plastic surgery does not work like that. You are truly in the hands of um, uh, an artist who mm -hmm. is, Prescri prescribing for you what they believe is going to give you the, the most beautiful and um, artistically unique outcome for your face. And I think what you just said, this is part, it's the amazing truth, but at the same note, it's kind of scary too. I mean, it, it's, it's the seesaw, right? So for example, if you're, a, if you're Jane Doe on the street and you know nothing, can you say, listen, I, I don't like this. I want a little, this, they, they all do that in the mirror. Yeah, I just want a little, okay, great, awesome, okay? So you go knock on the door of your friendly neighborhood plastic surgeon, okay? And I'm not, I'm not dogging anybody, so names are odd, okay? So you go knock on the door. Discussion. Pardon? We're just having an open discussion. Right, exactly. So this guy says, yeah, 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 I think you need a little facelift action, okay? Mm -hmm. Cool, awesome possum. That there, right there, when she, if that same person comes to see me, that consultation is night and day difference. I had tell, and patients tell me the same thing, you know? So for example, I'll, I'll, this is something that rings very true. So after every consultation, we have, I have a little two minute post-mortem with my coordinator, okay? I want feedback. Okay. Most of the time it's feedback on my explanations because sometimes I can get too scientific and she's like, dude, bring it down, man. Come on. Okay. Yeah. Just let's, let's just bring it down. You don't, yeah. you don't need to go cray cray. I get that. I get that talk a lot. Yeah. So recently we had this talk and I saw this lady, she's 40 something years old. She's got a lot of mid-face ptosis. Um, she's got some slight laxity along her neck. And I'm like, cool, I think I can get away with doing just a lift on you, which is a rare thing in my office, right? Because most of the time, it's always a little bit of fat. It's a little bit of volume replenishment. It's, it's the stuff. So post-mortem, my coordinator comes to tell me and says, don't ever say that again, okay? Because you know that Every single time you say that on the day of the OR, you're going to look at her again and go, you know what? I'm going to put some fat in. Okay. So she's like, just go ahead and tell everybody that this is the, this is what it is. And if you don't do it, you don't do it. But I will tell you in a year, it's never going to happen that you don't do it. You will always put a little bit of fat in. She knows you well. She knows me well. You know, but this is the thing. It, it is that it, it is that artistry because you get there, you do everything, you go, huh? It would be so much better if dot dot dot, and then you just got to do what you got to do. Exactly. So, um, I, I run into a similar scenario, and uh, so my consultations, I, I've obviously got to evaluate the patient, and and I evaluate them as thoroughly as I can. But part of doing that is really just staring at your patient and staring at them from several different angles. And it's at a certain point, you've got to, you know, it's, it's not patients get to a certain point where they're like, okay, that's, that's kind of an staring and analyzing. Kind of weird. 
Yeah, critically analyzing my face. And we laugh about it. And I, I joke and I say, you know, I'm, I'm just going to stare at you for a little bit. Um, you know, try not to mind it too much. But there's a difference between that in-person um, analysis and that preoperative planning. When I sit down with a patient's photos and I really look um, in a in a much more critical uh, means, I'm I'm looking at I'm looking for asymmetry. I'm looking for volume loss. I'm looking for flattening in certain areas. Um, and so it's during that photo evaluation and preoperative planning that I often find myself saying, gosh, I should have, I should have um, mentioned everything to her because it, it, or him, because it does turn out that, yes, I do want to do some fat grafting in this one area that I, I didn't catch in person, or um, maybe we should do a buckle fat removal, lower face is really heavy. Uh, so I've learned just like you to really kind of touch on all those things. And if I suspect, if I have a suspicion that someone may have a hint of something, I, I will mention that. Right. So, which brings up the next topic. Okay. So I'm going to call you out. Are you, are you with me still? Okay. Yeah. You froze for a second. Okay. And me calling you out is me calling myself out as well because I do the same thing. Okay. So we, so we've, we've come to the basis understanding that facial rejuvenation, like how I say it, it can't be put in a box. Okay. It's not a, it's not a big box store, right? Every patient's different. Every case is different and you, you it's a, it's a continual learning process and you just get better and better and better and better and better. Now, stating all of this, we've, we've, we're, we're, we're simpatico on everything. Both you and I have a section on the webpage that says mini left. Mm -hmm. Okay. We do it. Okay. So my question to you, I'm going to ask you the question why, and I, I have no, I'm going to answer the same question as well. So go forth. So it's just become such a popular marketing term that um, I think that if I didn't include that, I, I would not have the opportunity to explain to patients what they truly need. And, uh, I, you know, I would be missing an opportunity to really give a patient a beautiful result. And like we just talked about, you know, where does the cutoff for many end and, and what is after many? I think many patients think that after many, it's full facelift, you know? Um, those terms to me really don't mean much, but but I have that section on the website because I want to be able to discuss this with patients. At the very least, it's great to educate patients and let them know that even though you're not showing signs of tremendous aging, we, there are still no shortcuts to beautiful results and beautiful facial rejuvenation surgery. And when they come in, I explain to them that it's a it's a spectrum, you know. Some some patients need a lot. Some patients don't need so much. But I don't like to use the term "mini" because it imply it implies that there's far less work involved. And um, um, that I think that that answers your question. It does. And for fairness' sake, I'll tell you, I, I basically say the same. And I think it really is an opportunity to to capture a patient that you otherwise wouldn't capture to tell them about your practice philosophy. And if it, if they like it, great. If they don't, it wasn't meant to be. Exactly. And, and I very much have that similar approach, which is, you know, this is, um, this is very much a relationship like our encounters with our patients and and in speaking with you i know that you treat it the same it's you know it's a privilege it's an opportunity and um it's sometimes there are relationships that last many many years and mm -hmm. it's it's not a transactional thing you know we have to be on the same page with our patients and that um opportunity to 
to educate them and and let them know that what it is that they're searching for can be achieved but but this is how we get there um so you know that's i think my philosophy is very much in line with yours so i'm going to ask you a question kind of on the same note so you've already heard my thought i love fat fat is my friend mm -hmm. um so much so that i've kind of really jumped on this idea that i think that almost every facial rejuvenation procedure needs some sort of volume replenishment. Your thoughts, your ideas, because I think this is part of that 4D lift. So what are your thoughts on this? I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. Fat has been such a wonderful adjunct to facial rejuvenation surgery. Um, I, I'd have to say that I include fat in probably 100% of my facelift facelifts and um, how much fat I use is highly variable. You know, if it's someone who has not aged with volume loss or, you know, they don't have, uh, they have beautiful cheekbones and um, then there, there's always some portion of the face that I think could benefit from, even if it's a drop of fat in the nasolabial folds. Right. Or, what patients commonly refer to as their smile lines, even if I'm just softening those just a touch to make them look a little less harsh and softer, or whether it's just adding a little bit of contour to the cheeks, or, you know, they've got marionette lines, there's always something that, in my opinion, can be softened or made more plush because you know, you know, just as well as I do, the, the beautiful youthful face is, is a plushly padded one. And um, um, patients often have the misconception that fat grafting is gonna make their face fat. And that is a huge misconception. It, it's the fat is purely to soften certain deep lines, create a little bit of um, highlight and contour to certain areas such as the cheekbones. Um, so in my hands, I, I, I fat graft, I would, you know, I'd have to look at my um, operative reports and, but I'm confident in, in saying that I probably fat graft a hundred percent of patients. Yeah, it, it's, it's a hundred percent. I mean, it's, uh, it's gotten so, so much of a belief, like a postulate that you almost don't know how to rejuvenate the face without some degree of volume replenishment. Um, do you use all the fractions of fat or do you like, I mean, do you use the millifat, microfat, nanofat, use all three, or do you stick with only one fraction? What is your thoughts? So uh, probably two. Um, I use um, macrofat for cheeks and um, basically I, I don't, I don't shrink the size of the fat. Structural. Yeah. Unless I'm doing under, under the eyes. Yeah. And under the eyes, uh, the tear troughs, you know, what I want to achieve with regard to the eyelid is I, I want a very smooth lid cheek junction. And a lot of times when patients age, they begin to have a line of demarcation between the lower eyelid and the cheek. And in the very youthful, beautiful appearance, we want a very smooth transition from the lower eyelid to the cheek. So um, that tear trough or that deep line that creates that boundary um, of exactly that, you know, peak and valley between the lower eyelid and the cheek, I'm very frequently using um, micro fat in that tear trough to bring that uh, to elevate that tear trough and, and get rid of that deep line of demarcation. So one of the things I've been doing recently is also using the nano fat component. Mm -hmm. And at the very end of the case, micro needling the nano fat component Beautiful. into the whole face. Mm -hmm. And it's very, so I had a patient of mine who she's a physician and she didn't want a facelift. Okay. Mm -hmm. She's like, I, I'm just, I'm not there yet. I'll be back in a couple of years, but I'm just not there yet. 
So we, what she really wanted is rejuvenation of the upper one third. So we did a brow lift. We did a blepharoplasty, lower bleph and volume replenishment over the upper one third with a little bit of volume along the jawline. Beautiful operation. Yeah. It was fun. And at the very end of it, I did this whole um, nano fat stem cell mixture microneedling of everything I did. She's like, yeah, 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 I love all of it. But she goes, I love the way my skin feels. And I'm like, that is the 1% of what we did. But yeah. I don't know what it is, but they just love the way their skin feels. Yeah. And I wish I had the, the balls to biopsy, like a, do a punch biopsy of the skin before and maybe six months after. I mean, I'd love to do it for academic reasons. I mean, you're not going to do it just to do it, you know, but it, it really would be an interesting, um, I'd love to see what the results though? are. Isn't it amazing? I mean, it, it really, it's it's just that last layer of polish that just pulls everything to get, together, yeah. provides that final luster. And it's it's really, it's that fourth dimension, you know, it's that one thing that, um, you know, you can't really put your finger on what exactly it is, but but it just provides uh, a luster that otherwise is, is you know, sometimes we just can't achieve. So recently I saw, who did I see? Um, Patrick Tenard, mm -hmm. okay. Big fat guy, loves the fat, okay? So he, he actually- uh, Just to intervene, uh, Ragu said big fat guy. He's actually a very thin, lean guy. Right. <laughs> he he understood what I meant, sorry. Yeah, yeah he he's is, super uh, Yeah, he's very lean, but he's very a big proponent of, of using fat in all, in all ways. And he's been talking about this for probably, I'm gonna guess, close to two decades. And a lot of the studies about fat grafting has been done by him. Yeah. And um, so he had a technique where he's actually injecting fat when he's doing facial rejuvenation into the nose, going through the super tip all the way down to almost the maxillary crest and inject this uh, column of fat to basically give a little amount of rotation, a little bit of projection um, not rhinoplasty projection rotation, but just to offset some of the natural ptosis of the ligaments. Yeah. And um, so I tried it on a couple of cases and it's funny, again, you do this humongous surgery and the only thing that they notice is, oh, I have a cute nose. And you're sitting there going, you know, great, thanks, but what about the rest? That's so funny. I have a similar, um, you know, oftentimes, um, you know, my anesthesia wants to see long-term results of pain because, right. you know, she remembers a lot of the cases and um, develops a rapport with patients and wants to see their final outcomes. And when I show her before and after, she's always like, um did you did we do a rhino on her and i'm like no but i did put a little bit of fat in you know at the radix and i put a little fat at the columellar uh, yeah. junction right here and that little bit of fat it's amazing it will provide a little bit of projection and provide a little bit of youthful contour to the nose and in profile so um yeah i'm constantly getting that question hey did you also do a rhinoplasty here and um but but going back to what you said it's that little bit of fat that can make um uh you know just a very elegant change and beautiful plastic surgery is is that it's the additive effect of these all these small things that we do and um uh yeah it's in my hands it's been great so do you do most of your cases under local or general? Um, it really depends. I, I do, uh, rhinoplasties I, I will do under general simply because, yeah. Uh, I, I really want to protect the airway. We're right. using a lot of irrigation and, you know, patients are laying flat and when you're using 
Um, when you've got a lot of fluid draining back there, you want to make sure that the airways. Hundred percent. Facial um, rejuvenation. Facial rejuvenation. It it really depends. Um, it depends on patient preference. Um, a lot of times, I'll discuss it with my anesthesia team, and uh, you know, we'll we'll put a package together for each individual patient. But um, I I do facelifts under both general and Mac, and Mac is uh, basically local and sedation. Okay, IV sedation. Exactly. Got it. So. Mm-hmm couple of the things that I've been working on for about a couple of years now, which seems to work very well. So I do a lot of deep plane lifts under local with oral sedation. Oh, great. It's pretty cool. And one of the things that I really have noticed about this is postoperatively, these patients have a fraction of the swelling of general anesthesia patients. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. The, um, I think my hypothesis is the oral sedation is mainly just there to make them comfortable during the blocks. Once they're blocked, they don't feel squat. Yeah. But the, the lack of delta in blood pressure makes a huge difference. Yeah. Um, there's a guy actually in Istanbul, um, Dr. Tiaman Dogen, he is the guy that does the Tia rhinoplasty thing. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I've read a lot of stuff. I went, I actually went to go meet the guy. I've known the guy. He, he's, he's awesome. He's a good thinker. I love him. Great thinker and great educator. Great thinker. Love the way he thinks. And um, so he does only rhinoplasty at this point. He doesn't do anything else. And so what he actually does is to minimize that delta in the rhinoplasty. So he injects the nose. So once he injects the nose, literally he puts a stopwatch for 30 minutes. 30 minutes of doing absolute zero, okay? It's a really hard thing to do. Like when you're in the operating room with him, he he actually has to physically leave the operating room. Cause he's like, if I'm there, I'm gonna start. Yeah. And by doing that, he goes, I'll show you. And you look at the blood pressure tracing, the anesthesia is really set in. Like that delta is so small that yeah. there is almost, there's very little bruising. It really has changed the amount of post-operative bruising and swelling. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I, I guess I sort of know that in the back of my head. So I have timed my injection and all the other things I do in in preparing a patient. And I'm very much involved in that. Um, um, I'm very obsessive and uh, about- I think we all are. Yeah. So I will uh, inject my patients. Uh, Then, you know, it's it's a regional perinasal block. And then I'll do a lot of things. I'll trim the nasal hair, which which some surgeons do, some don't. I, I prefer to just trim it and have uh, a nice clean field. So I'll trim the nasal hair. Ever since COVID, I started prepping the inside of the nose with betadine. So I'll um, trim the nasal hair. This is all after I've injected. Prep the inside of the nose with betadine, put my... Um, uh, Pledgets in with um, uh, oxymetazoline um, to get some vasoconstriction on the inside of the nose. And then I go and scrub. And, and by that time, the patient's um, prepped and draped. And uh, I bet if I were to time that all out, it's, it's definitely going to be 30 minutes, which is great because that's really the peak of when that local is, is setting right. in and patients are very comfortable. And we've really tried to cut back as, as, all surgeons have, and uh, I, I know you doing the same, we're really trying to cut back on the amount of narcotics uh, used during surgeries because, uh, you know, patients wake up nauseated with the narcotics and and um, if we can avoid it, we'd cer- we certainly love to do that. Right. Um, on our, the one thing that I love about facial rejuvenation, especially when you do like my nickname for it, just colloquially, I call it full facial rejuvenation. 
because it's never just a single isolated procedure. It's always some combination, right? It's like you have, you have a toolbox and you're pulling tools out of it. And so I love the idea of how to put them in a sequential order. So oh yeah, it's like a symphony, you know? It you, is. You, you uh, and that's that's what's so much fun about what we, like when you decide what your com combination is going to be when you decide in your preoperative planning the day of surgery is really about executing a well-formulated plan it, it's not the time to think about well hey how am i going to do this so right a perfect example of what you just mentioned is if i'm if i'm doing a brow lift upper bluff lower bluff face and neck I really got to think about how in, in, you know, what's the sequence going to be? When am I going to stop the face and inject the brow? Because I know I'm going to be getting to the brow. And if you're good at that, um, which takes experience, uh, uh, if you're good at that, it, the, the surgery goes, goes along like just a beautiful one after another, after another. I mean, it's just, it, it's so smooth. Yeah, exactly. And, and those are the types of things that come with experience. Right. And, um, and the other person, I think that I think you'll agree, the other person who rarely gets credit in this is your tech and your team, right? Because when they know you're generalized, like we actually sit down two days before every case and we drop the game plan, right? And I just write down the game plan, like what time the patient's coming and the anticipated time of every single thing down to like, you know, start right bluff at this point, inject other side, come back. So, I mean, and they know this, they've done it so many times that it's, you don't even have to talk. Yeah. You're yeah. just like, you know, it's, That's awesome. uh, so do you ever get the question from patients? And, um, I, I really don't blame patients for asking this, but do you ever get the question? Why don't you do, uh, why don't we do this in a hospital? I do. And, and what do you tell them? I think so, this is a segue into, into that question. So that option definitely exists for you. Okay. So the way I explain anesthesia and stuff to them is as follows. Okay. So first of all, depending on the procedure we're going to do and your concurrent health history first dictates the type of anesthesia we're going to do. So for example, if we're gonna do a rhinoplasty, by definition, we're doing general anesthesia. So that right there is, that is the basis point and that dictates where this thing can be done and how it needs to be done. So that's option one. Okay. Now, so let's say we're going to do local anesthesia, okay? You can still do local anesthesia at a hospital. Absolutely, that choice is yours. I've had a patient that I insisted that her local anesthesia case was at the hospital. She is a kidney transplant recipient patient. She can have all the medical clearance in the world. We are not doing that in my office. It doesn't matter to me. Like, if you want me to do surgery, these are the stipulations. And so the decisions of where we do surgery are based on safety, patient past medical history, patient comfort, and then finally, my recommendation in that order. Now, so for example, doing it at an outside facility other than the hospital, there's some significant advantages. A, let's be honest, cost is an advantage to the patient. You get my team, okay? That is the biggest advantage of all. That, they that, know that's how I do it every single time yeah. and then number three is that if the pay if the case is of low acuity okay i mean I, i'm not doing a heart transplant okay then this is a very safe way to do this yeah. now if again kidney transplant patient yes her doctor said it's okay to do it at an outside facility i'm not taking that risk yeah. Yeah. I like that. Um, my explanation to patients, obviously it's a case by case basis. And if someone's got significant past medical history or, um, 
you know, other health problems, you know, there's, we're obviously going to be looking into that in, in much further detail. And if it needs to be done at a hospital, then so be it. But what I tell patients is, um, you know, you can't take a Michelin star chef out of his kitchen and ask him to do good work because he's got his entire team in there uh, that knows how he wants things done. Right. And, and that's what we would not be getting at the hospital. I wouldn't, there's a good chance I would be meeting the team for the first time. There's a good chance they've never seen the procedure done the way I do it. And, um, you know, it, it, it introduces so much variability and so much potential frustration that um, it's, it's really, in my opinion, aesthetic surgery, when it can be done um, in an ambulatory facility, such as uh, you mentioned, then I, I think it's much more conducive to uh, the type of results that we're after. It's optimal. I mean, I think you make excellent points and I'm going to add to that the vast majority of hospital. This is, we go back to the first thing we said where the, you can't go to two different guys to McDonald's and get this to get a hamburger, right? So if I do a facelift and you do a facelift, we're doing it differently. Let's be real about this. And if you're taking out an appendix, quite frankly, it doesn't really matter, okay? And so hospitals are trained with the appendix model. They're not trained with the aesthetic surgery model. Of course, yeah. And um, like, for example, simple things like instruments. When we go to the hospital, we actually bring all of our own instruments. It's a pain in the bloody tuchus. I cannot use their instruments. I mean, it's that's that's uh, that's torture. It's it is torture. I mean, the amount of thought that I've put into each and every one of my instruments, down to the last pickup or hook or right. retract, um, and to to assume that the facelift set in the hospital is going to have that degree of thought put into it. I mean, that's just simply not the case. So we found this guy. So some of the instruments that I've gotten accustomed to, some of the big manufacturers don't make some of this stuff anymore. And you get used to it. It fits in your hand. You like the way it feels. The distance between the where the hook goes over your hand and the claw portion is perfect. Yep. Okay. And you just get used to it. So we found this guy, uh, he, has a, a, he has a place in Pakistan and he makes instruments. So there's instruments that I send him the instrument, go, this is the last one I have. This oh, is, give it, and he duplicates it. Oh, that's incredible. I'll have to get his, his info. He's awesome. I mean, and like, because some of these instruments have been given to me by my fellowship director. I'm used to that thing. And I, I don't know how to survive without it. Yeah. Um, it's so funny because I'm very much the same way. It's, it's like you're, it's like teaching an old dog new tricks, right? You become so accustomed to this thing. And when you don't have it, it's like, it, it first of all, puts you in a bad mood. Yeah. And then, <laughs> then once you're in a bad mood, it's downhill from there. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's to give you an example, um, a lot of knife handles are, and, and, you know, this is not to knock anyone that uses whatever type of knife handle you like, but I use a round knife handle because yes, <laughs> I have so much precision and control. The pencil-looking knife handle, exactly. And when you go to and when you go to the hospital, ninety-nine percent of techs will tell you they have never seen that knife handle before. Yeah. Yeah. So that's just one example. And, um, you know, I've, I've hand chosen every scissor I use for my facelifts and, yep. um, needle know. drivers, needle yeah. drivers. Okay. Yeah. Something as simple. I mean, whether it has cross hatching on the teeth or it is flat, I mean, there's a reason why it has that. 
Yeah, and I and I I have both in my facelift set for certain, you know, certain sizes of suture and right. I I had a patient once who somehow she kind of got wind of how obsessive I was about my facelift instruments, and um, she is a sommelier, and um, she as a gift got me a wine bottle opener that has a lot of history and, and the wood and the metal are all very uh, unique. And um, she explained to me how this is what she prefers. She likes the way it feels in her hands and each bottle of wine is so special and, and she loves to have that control and that feel over it. And I, it, it was very, um, ironic because it it's exactly the way i feel about my instruments yeah and and there's and it's nothing that okay the actual cost of the instrument is not it's not super valuable yeah okay but when you see somebody who isn't part of your team handling the, that and they put it in the washing machine and they just throw it in the tray it's like it's like amputating portions of me without yeah. anesthesia. I mean, it, just the sound, like they, they, everyone knows that I'm listening. If, if instruments are being ha handled roughly, it's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to have an objection to that. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it's, I think it's, it's kind of like, um, it's like the, uh, what is it called? The beautiful sport, right? So, um, there's a there's a movie. I know you probably know who Pelé is, the soccer player. There's a biography. I think it's on Apple TV. Um, it's called Pelé, and when you it's a story about his life, and you know he he came from absolutely nothing, and he ended up playing for Brazil for the finals of the World Cup, and he's 17 years old. Okay. And he was so nervous. He actually, when they found, when he found out that he's going to go play, that he's puking in the toilet because he's so he's never played on that stage before. He's seventeen, and so it's called. You know, this guy had an inordinate skill. He just he was an artist at soccer, you know. And so therefore, it's called the beautiful sport because he managed to do things with that ball that it's unimaginable. And it, it's kind of the same thing, right? You you pick your craft and you say, I'm gonna be the best in this craft. And you put as much energy, whatever you, you have into it. And every yeah. little piece of that craft fits together. Yeah. And it's and a it's story. So, it's so, uh, you know, we get this tunnel vision and we're lucky. We're very lucky that we love what we do, but you know, we're just so engrossed in what we do. And we're lucky because there are so many rewards that come as a result of loving what we do. I mean, we really get to impart big changes in people's quality of life. And, um, uh, you know, among so many other things. And, uh, you know, for me, that's the greatest reward is that, you know, I'm doing what I love to do. And I put my heart and all my passion into this. And yeah, we, you know, we make a good living, but it's truly that transformation and that sparkle in someone's eyes, um, and their new found confidence and the way that they carry themselves and the, the change in their uh, posture and demeanor after this, it's, um, there's nothing more re rewarding than that. Absolutely. I mean, it's the, the compensation financially is number 175 on the. I agree. And, you know, we, we, um, we make a good living. Let's not, you know, let's I'm not, not complaining. <laughs> yeah. But, um, uh, you know, there are other ways to make a living without, you know, um, two decades of schooling and, and, um, 
it, it's not <laughs> even the schooling. It's not any of that. It is, you know, when that, per when that person just says, thank you. Okay. Yeah. Or they give you that smile, like, oh my God, it looks amazing. Yeah. There, there is no, it's like for everything else, there's MasterCard. I mean, it really is, you know what I mean? It's, there's, there's nothing that compensates that. and we live, you know, so I'm a dog fanatic, right? And in real, so I have two golden retrievers. Mm -hmm. Okay. In reality, we're golden retrievers. We live for that pat on the head. Yeah. That is what makes it. Yeah. Speaking of which, this is oh, my dog here. Nice. Yeah, this is Santino. He's my uh, he's my buddy. Yeah. And, um, he's a French bulldog, and we actually do all of our operative planning together. So, so Jersey, she's downstairs. So Jersey is my golden retriever. She comes to the office when we have pediatric patients. Oh yeah, yeah. So she, so if we have a PD patient for you know sutures, whatever, she's the one. She'll jump up on the OR bed, and, and they can hold her like a like a teddy bear. That's awesome. Yeah, That's awesome. it really it it cuts down on the stress. A hundred percent. And um, so, like we were talking about earlier, um, you know, a good operation, a good surgery is execution of a a very well thought out plan. And um, for me, that happens at night on the couch with my dog. Right. In front of the computer. So, yeah, uh, I, you know, when I, when I'm chatting with patients, I frequently tell them that, you know, we'll see what uh, Santino, my dog says about your operative plan. <laughs> right. It's, it's true. Well, I really appreciate you joining me and giving me an hour of your time. I don't want to take too much of your evening off and let you get back to your family. Um, so to all of our listening mm -hmm. public, I'd really like to thank Dr. Paula Frews from Miami, Florida for joining us. You wasted another hour of your time listening to our views on facial rejuvenation and everything else. Um, now, one of the things... Go ahead. I want to say thank you so much for having me. I think um, it it really has been a lot of fun uh, chatting with you. I think thank we you. are such like-minded individuals, just dedicated to, um, obsessively dedicated to our craft. And I really appreciate that about you. And uh, thank you for having me. And this was a lot of fun. Thanks, Paul. So mi casa es su casa. So yeah. if you're down in Houston, please come on by. Likewise. Um, Thank you. Um, do you come to Miami? I do. I do at least a couple times a year. So the next time I come in, I'll definitely hit you up in, in advance. I would love that. Yeah, we'll we'll have lunch or dinner and uh, I'll show you around a little bit. I'm sure you know your way around, but maybe some hidden gems. Awesome. Sounds amazing. So thank you for joining us. To everyone out there, it's another episode of Plastic Surgery Unplugged. Please hit the subscribe button. Down in the details um, and comment section, I will include all of Dr. Afruz's contact information. Please do not hesitate to contact any of us regarding anything you hear, heard about the show. You got questions, concerns, anything. Um, even if you send it to me, I will forward it to Dr. Afruz. So I appreciate everybody listening. And most of all, thank you, Paul. I appreciate it. Thank you, Agu. Have a great night. Um, once again, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much. Well, bye-bye.